Welcome back, everyone, to Roll for Enterprise. This is episode 27. And today we wanted to return to a topic that we touched on last week as well, talking about multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, cloud business models in general. These days, it's kind of the received wisdom that the way to do business is in the cloud, is with subscriptions, that the metric that you want to be looking at is the annual recurring revenue. Makes everyone sound like pirates. It does work. It's a model that works well, but it's not such a given for everyone everywhere at all times. There are a whole bunch of factors that need to be considered as well. So, Mike, you've been thinking deeply about this from the customer point of view. Why don't we start from there to the view from the buyer's side of the desk, and then we can talk about how that matches with the view from the other side, the operators of these services. Thanks, Dominic. And I've been thinking about it a lot after the last episode. And we were talking about kind of a Lassian's move at that time to more of like, hey, we're not going to sell you software to put on your own device. It'll all be subscription-based. And it all, it all sounds good, right? And and from an IT perspective, what I what I argued last week was, you know, you won't have these people supporting the infrastructure. You won't need the infrastructure anymore. There's a benefit there, but we need to be also a, a, a bit careful, right? And and I, you know, as I thought about it more and more, it, there's a bit of a trap going on. So what's the trap, Mike? You know, that that's what you're going to ask next. That really, as you move to this recurring revenue model. And I mean, you could see it. Every company is starting to go to re- a recurring revenue model. Why? Because if they sell it to you once, they may never sell it to you again. But if they have that recurring revenue, uh, you're a customer all the time until you until you get off their drug, let's say, whatever that drug is that they're selling you. And yeah, let's call us that because they're really being all drug dealers trying to get us hooked, and then we can't let go, right? And as companies move to those recurring revenue models, I think what ends up happening is you start to add licenses, you start to add features. And next thing you know, from an IT perspective, you've blown up your budget. So when you're looking at those business cases, it might be like, you know what, this is something small. It's a couple thousand bucks a month. Let, let's just do it. And next thing you know, you're spending 100000 a month and you have no idea, right? So of course, Atlassian and all these companies, they're going to want to push you away from that and onto um, kind of the recurring revenue model. But you need to think of like, when is the right time for you to go? You know, the, the other thing I hear, which is not so related, but going to become related is a lot of companies like, we think of like all this modernization happening and companies trying to get off a legacy. And a lot of companies are having a hard time or a lot of IT leaders are having a hard time building those business cases. But those business cases kind of fall apart at some point when you start to move to these recurring revenue models. So th- th- there's a bit of, um, you know, I'm I- I'm stuck in the middle, right, on both sides because, yes, it makes sense, but there's a different way to do it. And I think you need to decide from an organizational perspective, what's the right point that you move to that recurring revenue model. I I think that's a big um, piece of it. I I don't know how you guys feel, but it's a bit like there's a trap going on and we're about to fall into it for with every single vendor now because they're they want to grow their their book right right so this is kind of the lock-in argument the financial side of the lock-in argument if you commit to paying a hundred bucks a year for a piece of software you have to pay your hundred bucks every single year if you don't the software will stop working and if you build a core part of your business a function around this piece of software then you don't really have a choice you're over a barrel there if your subscription is now 150 dollars what are you going to do you have to keep paying it or decide that you're going to go through a long painful risky replatforming i mean the flip side of that though is pay as you go 
it has benefits as well. So one benefit that we always talk about from the vendor side right now with the vendor hat on, if I'm talking to someone in your seat, Mike. Here come the marketing guys. Here come the marketing guys. <laughs> Smooth marketing guys. No, but seriously, so the pitch is always, if your business grows and you're relying on you know, a data center that you own and things like that, if you have to go and procure new hardware and procure new software and hire new people to take care of it, that's a long lead time before you can support that growth. And these days, growth moves very fast in both directions, growth and degrowth, shrinkage of that business. Uh, there are all these stats about an extra 100 milliseconds on the load time of a browser equates to X percent of the annual business of, or whatever it is. 20% of statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> so yep. there's there's very much that side of things. The benefit is a pay-as-you-go. And that also applies to the operators of this business, right? If I'm operating a business, now I'm very much firmly wearing the hat, uh, the MongoDB logo hat. We have a pay-as-you-go subscription offering. We run that on top of other pay-as-you-go subscription offerings. Uh, I'm not disclosing any proprietary information. MongoDB Atlas runs on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. And we pay a very substantial amount of money to all three of these vendors in order to run our software. The reason we can do that is because we can charge more margin for our highly differentiated product running on top of their less differentiated product. Infrastructure is infrastructure is infrastructure at a certain point. And so they cannot charge a very much margin on top of that. And so we can afford to build something on top of that. So it's kind of, it's turtles all the way down, right? In that sense, the margin uh, rolls all the way uphill and downhill from the user to the middle, middle layers of the stack to the bottom infrastructure levels of the stack. It's really a different way of looking at the issue that we see changing the channel, right? I, I think it's just the players have changed, uh, potentially. Yeah, where does the margin go? It's no longer you buy the products and then you pay 20% maintenance. It's you pay a fee every year that's based on utilization in some way. Yeah, but also, you know, if if let's take a company that sells a license versus a pay-as-you-go or you have the option. There's nothing stopping you from buying that license and potentially putting it on AWS, right? And then you can, you know, potentially you you don't need the admin support or the physical hardware. You know, it's... it's but you have to bring your own admins. That should be an acronym, like bring, bring your own device, bring your own admins. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, yeah, admins as a service, that's, that's the next thing. There you go. Um, <laughs> But it's it's interesting what happened. I mean, if you look at kind of the infrastructure space, I mean, you know, VMware came along and we saw like, you know, a proliferation of virtual machines. And then, you know, people thought, wow, we can just, you know, ask for more and more servers and they'll just give it to us until that, that you reach the hardware limitation. And then companies started to struggle once they reached the hardware limitation. It's like, oh man, how did we have all these servers come into play? And now, you know, do we, do we, do we add more capacity or do we remove, you know, some application or some servers here? You, you, you know, you start to juggle those pieces as a, as a company. And then the market came along and said, well, if that's a limitation, let's design cloud, let's put it out there somewhere and we'll just give people, you know, more and more capacity as you go and you don't have to worry about it. Until your credit card gets declined. That's the yeah, it, it, exactly, exactly. And I think when, when you start to look at it even further, I mean, 
everybody's starting to spend more and more. I, I think now, you know, with everything happening in the economy, I think there's a lot of uncertainty places. People want the flexibility, but is the flexibility, you know, you really need to think, is it moving to a, a recurring revenue type of service where you could scale down or is it just holding the ship tight because you've already potentially depreciated some assets, you know, yeah, you don't want to kind of increase cost and you don't know where it's going to go. So it, there's a there's a, lo- a big struggle happening in the enterprise, I believe, as they start to look at this. And of course, everybody's running to the greatest, the you know, the best and latest. And uh, potentially it, it might not be the right thing to do right now at this moment for some companies. And for some it is, right? So you know, what's interesting here, Dominic, you mentioned earlier, you know, the uh, the people aspect, right? That's one of the big marketing tools for SaaS companies, you know, acquisition labor costs. You're going to save on labor. How how real is that? It, it, it doesn't seem that they save on, you know, the jobs just move, right? So yeah, okay, maybe we let go of some marketing people here for the SaaS product or some, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be, right? Uh, it's people in this company, but it seems like then they just hire them somewhere else because they have these tools. Maybe they, they reinvest that uh, in account management or support roles. I, I wonder in this recurring model, is, it, is there really a savings? And, you know, Maybe that that capital expenditure model might come back. I mean, with infrastructure costs going down or or getting a little bit lower, I I just wonder. I mean, Mike, do you see a lot of savings there from the labor perspective? Is that is that a real argument for these a lot of these vendors with these recurring models? Well, now that we're in this for for so long, uh, what you're starting to see is you need a different skill set, and that is a bit tougher uh, to see. So. You know, you might see business cases where you take people out of the equation and, you know, okay, labor goes away. But, I, you know, eventually you're going to realize like, oh, man, I, I kind of need people, but I need people with a different skill set. Now, companies might approach this differently, whether you're kind of, um, you know, reskilling. I, I, I don't and I don't think it's an upskill. I, I don't think it's like we need to upskill our people. I think it's a different skill. So, so I would say it's reskilling. And, you know, I, I, I have some, uh, you know, I, I don't think some of the you know, standard players here, you can reskill. I think you need to go out sometimes and, and get some new skills of, of people. Um, but that's what I'm seeing. It's it's a different skill set. I, I don't know if you guys agree or, or disagree, but uh, certainly the people we're seeing in IT organization are starting to change as well. And the analyst is stronger than ever. That's what I would say. I can, I, I agree with that. Um, to an extent, I agree with that. I, I don't know that I'm, you know, it's funny. I was, I was on this bandwagon more so than I am now. I, I think IT just needs to regroup and uh, look at it differently for, through a different lens. So I, I wonder now if it's more of, you know, the CTO and CIO roles are still there, but maybe it's a different skill set, right? You talk about retooling, but we always focus down the chain, it seems like. I think if we look at up the chain at, at the top of the chain, Maybe those skill sets are different. I think that's what you might be saying, Mike. I mean, that, that's where we need to regroup in IT and, and then have a different approach to how we how we leverage technology in these business uh, transformational projects. The the business would not, like nothing more than talking to the people who are at the Bolton Nut level, who I would say are your admins. But to be honest, probably who they should be speaking to is really the people at you know the higher level the analyst to really think of what they want to do how they want to approach certain issues that they're trying to solve and really think of those outside the box otherwise you're going to continue to get the same solution um with a different wrapping paper if i could say uh, and that's really the 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 problem that i'm I, i'm starting to see in places um as well as fragmentation of 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 
of all these organizations and um you know what they're trying to achieve and do all right the the bypassing of IT will become a problem eventually for for some organizations and I'm not saying you need to kill shadow IT but you need to be a lit, a, be at least a bit in control or, or have awareness and I, I think that awareness is severely lacking in a lot of organizations and that's causing um, other issues that are potentially unintended um, in those organizations. A lot of that is also about incentives. So when people are incentivized only to do one thing, the marketing department needs to get the website up and they perceive IT as being in their way, they might go out and do the shadow IT thing with a credit card, stand something up that maybe is not secure and compliant and whatever in the way that the organization uh, would want it to be. And so, as we've said before, the role of IT is to get involved in those conversations and advise and guide uh, and say, hey, look, this thing may look superficially attractive, but you haven't considered all of these other factors. Let's do this other thing, which is nearly as easy and will also satisfy these these different requirements that you haven't been thinking of. And that also talks about long-term sustainability of the services themselves. Recurring revenue is also a way to align the incentives of customers and vendors As long as a piece of software is generating recurring revenue, vendors are incentivized to continue to maintain and update and uh, release new features to that software. And we had Lila come on last week. She comes from the mainframe world. I remember attending an event with a mainframe partner at a previous company. And everyone there was super excited at version 56, like major version 56 of whatever piece of utility software it was. They were very excited about the new features this thing was bringing. And why? Because the mainframe world has run on subscription revenue almost since day one. They, they invented this whole model, if you want to look at it that way. In the old, not as old as mainframe, but <laughs> older than what we're doing now, enterprise software model, you'd buy a piece of software for a chunk of cash, and then you pay 20% revenue, which supposedly covered this. But the revenue payment, pardon me, the uh, recurring maintenance, the recurring maintenance payments went in a different bucket from the original purchase. So they didn't incentivize behavior in the same way. And enterprise customers, I mean, Mike, you no doubt have a bunch of war stories, but they would always complain that, oh, we don't feel properly looked after and taken care of. Uh, Our vendor has got distracted by the latest new hotness and wandered off and left us in the lurch with this thing that we rely on to uh, to run our business, but we can't get their attention because they're chasing the new upfront sales. They have no financial incentives to be talking to us. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it, it, it totally does. And, you know, also taking from some of like last week's conversation, isn't this going to happen to like the cloud offerings as well? I mean, n- let's let's look at AWS, right? They have the AWS marketplace. Like what happens if you've built something on one of the pieces of the marketplace and it's gone? W- what happens then? Well, the assumption is it won't as long as it's generating revenue. It's all usage-driven. If if people are using it and they're paying for it, then it'll stick around. Someone in some form will keep it around. Keep it around. Will it continue to innovate and and improve? Ah, Well, I was going to pile on the AWS comment a little bit. We're talking about SaaS. I I don't think of AWS when I think of SaaS. Um, I think Microsoft, I think SaaS, but not AWS. So I I think this is going to be interesting for them. I'm not... um, uh, you know, I'm not trying to pick on them, but uh, yeah, this AWS, I think, is in a precarious situation with their cloud offering. I mean, again, there's like 5,000 different offerings. So, you know, I don't know which one to pick for which solution. There's probably five for each solution. And, you know, you probably need one of their architects to help you know figure out what you need. 
And uh, is it really a SaaS offering? Is it af- offering value to the business? So, I mean, I think AWS, uh, probably a different discussion for another time, but I think it's interesting we're talking SaaS and we bring up AWS because I, I don't know. I-, I wonder what they're solving now. But isn't that what their marketplace is doing or at least giving developers a tool? And I mean, yeah, maybe you don't call it SaaS, but it's 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 giving developers the tool, right? It's like our iPhone, right? It's like my iPhone. I go to the app store and that I have a bunch of apps. I mean, you, yeah, I, I don't disagree. You know, content uh, content is king, right? Is the old saying, but... Are they, I mean, what kind of business solution? I mean, you know, to me, obviously, it's it's the operations of the infrastructure. I think that's their biggest value add. You don't need to set up servers and, you know, networks. There's no concept of, you know, layer two out on their environment. So, you know, it's an API driven infrastructure and all that greatness. But, OK, you're going to build something on that. And that's when you go to the marketplace. So that's what you're saying. Right. Then you go to the marketplace. What can I build on it? I don't know. Is that a, um, you know, a you know, a nail looking for a hammer. I, I don't know, but I do know that with Microsoft, it's a bit different. I go to Microsoft and uh, I know off the bat that I'm going to leverage Office 365 and it integrates with, you know, my you know uh, CRM tool, integrates with my calendar, integrates with Teams. And I feel like there's a real problem they're solving. Yeah, that's the difference between AWS. AWS talks to developers and they listen to developers a lot. And that's why they have a million different w- products because every single developer wants to do it their own way. They don't have one database offering. They have 13, I think, at last count. Uh, <laughs> and Microsoft is the opposite. They they listen to business people first and foremost, and that's that's their strength. That's what they're good at. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch that play out. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of uh, a lot of comments about what I'm. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of AWS. Oh, yeah, we're but... generalizing wildly here. <laughs> but you know, but there's a lot of truth in that. But but think about it, right? If you look at like how big they are, like you know, um, AWS is the biggest one. Then comes Microsoft, and and then down the road you got like GCP and you have like AliCloud and and Tencent, uh, you know the, the the Chinese guys there. But isn't it like the developer is going to take the chance and the risk on something new? But the business person, he'll wait, he'll test, he'll be, you know, once it's tried and true, and I could rely on it, then I'll go to it. So I, I think AWS's lead here um, is really under threat by Microsoft to what to what uh, what Zach is saying, and I think you know. The office suite, the email suite, I, I think that's where it all starts for a lot of companies. And there's there's nothing to compare to office. I I think a lot of startups are doing themselves a, a disharm in using Gmail and G Suite because, I mean, if you compare it to office, there's just so much power in office that it's, it's nowhere close. But, you know, they're going to support their Silicon Valley pride rather than uh, try to use the best product. I, I think that's, I mean... Gmail hasn't been improved in in really a long time. And I think that's a disservice uh, that some companies are doing to themselves as I start to, you know, really look at these these products and compare. Oh, plus one, plus one. (laughs) Yeah. And this is probably a discussion for another show. But, you know, speaking of Microsoft, they are where Cisco was 20 years ago when it comes to collaboration. I mean, they are they are displacing Cisco in a lot of environments. Mike, I know you're well aware of this. Again, because of how their solutions integrate, they're solving real problems, especially work from home. Even if it's not work from home, you know, their O365 um, uh, enterprise voice solution is is pretty powerful. And, and what they've done is amazing. You know, here's a company. They're not a startup and they're not as new as Google. They've been around a long time. So how are they able to get these solutions and integrate everything together? And you have a company like Cisco where, they, you know, yeah, well, we integrate with WebEx, kind of. You know, we have all these different VUs. We can't really integrate our products. And here comes Microsoft. They just do it, you know, throw the throw the ball down on the ground and say, we did it. You know, it's, 
you know, I just, I'm impressed with what they're doing. I agree. Yeah, because otherwise information just gets lost in silos. I'm always shocked at how hard it is to find docs inside the Google Docs. I can't seem to find them. I end up going and scrolling through my own list of recent documents, recently opened documents to find that thing that I was working on because I enter keywords and I know those keywords are in there and it goes, nope, didn't find it. Or I found 117 things written by other people three years ago. This is not helpful. (laughs) You you, you know, though, I, I look at that and I think like, oh my God, am I old? Like I need to see a folder structure. I need to see like, you know, I'm used to it one way. And then I'm like, wait a second, is the new generation coming into the workplace? Like, does this really make sense to them? And if I'd also take a search box that just did what I said instead of trying to help me. (laughs) It used to be that a Google search box, you could put quotes around things and could say, and not do all of this Boolean stuff. And you could get it to narrow it down to give you exactly one result. And now it says, no, I'm going to ignore all of that. I'm going to give you something that is semantically related to one of the words that was in your search and doesn't contain another one at all I said, this is not helpful you've given me ten thousand results none of which is the one i want <laughs> just get out of my way give me a command line but is google doing what what apple did years ago um even microsoft to an extent they're starting with the young generation now aren't a lot of kids in schools using these chromebooks and uh for uh, for you know distant learning during covid may, i don't know i thought i think they i think they are but maybe i'm wrong no you're you're right and they might go be going that way but if I had to analyze it now, I would say Google's building products for Google. I, I don't, I, I don't know that they yes. really have, yeah, a, like a, a great roadmap, and I, I don't know that that they can see outside their own walls so so clearly. I, I think there's a there's a there's a problem there, and I and and honestly, I I, I can't see GCP picking up to anywhere near the pace of the other two. I mean, you know. I believe Ali Cloud will pass them eventually. I, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, Ali Alibaba announced earnings yesterday, and the the growth in Ali Cloud was sixty percent year over year. So you know sixty yeah. or sixty percent last quarter to this quarter, or the last year's quarter comparatively. I mean sixty percent that that's like huge, right? So you know if and you continue that growth, I, I don't think I don't think Google sees it, and I think we'll be talking about. AWS, Azure, and Ali Cloud in, in the near future. Um, there's no doubt about it in, in, in what we see in terms of trends. You think they'll break out of greater China, though? Because we see them a ton, but only in that region. I think, you know, once you, let's take Southeast Asia, if they get a foothold in Southeast Asia, I, I think Europe will, will be the next bastion. Potentially, they don't they don't come to uh, to America or not, not as strong in America, but I I think that you know Europe and Asia will will adopt it. I I, I truly believe that that'll happen. I mean, they're, they're going to have to change their ways eventually um, to to conform and and to grow further. I want to bring this full circle a little bit with AWS and recurring revenue. I mean, do they really does their go to market model? I know we're talking marketplace, but is it really conducive to some of the changes we're talking about? Like recurring revenue. Uh, Decisions being made a little bit differently. I mean, I know they have the ear outside of IT, but do they have the solutions they need? I I don't know. I'm asking a sincere question here. I never say never. I would be surprised to see AWS wither away. They have such a commanding, just mind share in developers' minds. They 
uh, what are you going to go for? You're going to compare AWS to something else, but AWS is always going to be in the mix there. That's going to be very hard to to get rid of. So that's the the difference between the Amazon and the Microsoft model. One's bottom up, the other's top down. In terms of org charts, there's no <laughs> moral judgment there. They've built a cult following, right? That that's very really much that. So. It's very cult. It, it's it's like it's like talking to the owner of a of a Tesla. You know, it's like if you're on AWS, you are part of that cult, and and you're loving it, right? Every minute of it. So yeah, and the more you buy in, the more benefit you get because you use more and more services is they more or less talk to each other asterisk double dagger uh, <laughs> yeah that that's very much the the motion whereas microsoft is like top down they go to the c-suite they say we've got everything just yeah. sign here in the dotted line everything is taken care of you don't need to worry about it, it so there's yeah. also a conversation to be had there about efficiency versus resilience which is the big conversation of 2020 right it's a lot of the supply chains that were focused on extracting the last narrowest sliver of efficiency broke down early in the pandemic because they didn't have any slack built in. And now we're building back up and a lot of things they decided, okay, we're going to allow a bit more inefficiency in the process because that inefficiency is a buffer against unexpected events, unforecastable black swans uh, that, uh, that we can take advantage of. So maybe it's more efficient if you run the numbers to put everything in someone else's hands to outsource everything but you're more resilient if you keep some skills in-house if you keep at least some tech in-house if you span multiple cloud offerings instead of putting all your eggs in one basket all of these types of things so that's uh, another interesting aspect to to this conversation you know a lot of people built in some really interesting um you know, in, in terms of resiliency, they had models that they could they could grow with, scale up, but it didn't scale down as fast enough. And I think for a lot of organizations, the first couple of months of, of the pandemic were quite worrisome because they weren't able to scale down as easy. And, and maybe that's their choice uh, or not. But I, I, I see that as a, as a problem that some some colleagues in other companies have, have really struggled with, which was interesting to see. Um, not, not something I expected. Um, yeah, but by the way, we we always talk about on-prem cloud, but isn't on-prem cloud just a, another way for these cloud players to force more recurring revenue models on us? I mean, isn't that all it is? Amen, hallelujah! Yes, 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 yes. What is on-prem cloud? Yes, yeah, yeah. And if you think of like what we spoke about, like okay, you know, you're all moving to recurring. Like this is the ultimate like recurring revenue. Like you're putting it on my site. You're, you know, it's it's kind of like I, I still have all this other kind of ancillary support for it. But oh, now I'm going to pay you recurring revenue for it. It's like. There, there, there's a fine line here. I, I, it's, it's just a, a marketing model. Uh, you know, if you start to really look at it, but yeah, I, I, I know I'm going to get flamed for by so many people for it, but okay. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get your back. I'll get your back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, I suspect this is when we're going to come back to again and again. It's already a recurring topic we've addressed several times, and we're going to come back to this one for sure, for sure. Uh, but let's uh, close out the conversation and give some recommendations. So I'll go first. We've uh, got the just the tail end of autumn here before winter properly kicks off. And so I'm spending as much time out of doors as I possibly can. And so I got myself a new bicycle. Bicycles are good. I highly recommend bicycles because you can go places you can either take a boring route and just distract yourself with the zen the rhythmic 
uh, aspect of it and come back and you've been out for an hour and a half, got some good exercise, but you'd struggled to say exactly what you did, where you went, because you've been thinking and getting a lot of good thinking time and podcast listening time as well out there. Or you can do it the other way. You can go do super technical stuff and just wear yourself out uh, and just empty your head completely. Both are really good, but just it's just a fantastic technology to bicycle. I highly recommend those. You know, from my recommendation, Dominic, I'm I'm kind of on the the same wavelength. Like it's it's more time outside. Like, hey, it's going to be a long dark winter. How are you going to stay outside? So I've been looking at these these fire pits, but they're like smokeless backyard fire pits now. So you know, the smokeless feature, it's 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 kind of got like a double chamber that burns more, but there's less smoke. Um, so yeah, I was looking at the Brio, and I'm probably going to pull the trigger on one uh, real soon, just so we can yeah enjoy the outdoors a, a, a little more with uh, with some warmth. And I think that's what everybody's focusing on uh, now with the pandemic uh, still going on and, and likely not to subside until uh, until later on into 2021. I, I will add something. I didn't have something prepared, but I think it's along these lines. But I'm not sure it's going to be new for anybody. But I, I just started some on-demand, um, you know, fitness uh, uh, this past Monday, actually, because I just, you know, found myself just not really making the time, having excuses, you know, working completely from home. But I, you know, every day, uh, you know, I feel better. I'm starting to, uh, you know, get my body going again. I, I felt like it was too easy to get out of a groove. But uh, uh, that that's not really, uh, I don't think that's any kind of innovation, but it's just more of me forcing myself to get into a schedule and blocking the time to try to exercise and and, uh, and do something for myself. Yeah, here in Italy, the gym's closed and my wife's gym moved to online classes. She's doing that, so we're back to that. Uh, I think I mentioned on the show already, my particular hack is I have a rowing machine set up in my home office in front of a screen. And so when I'm watching a webinar, like those IDC webinars we mentioned last time, uh, I watch those from the rowing machine. So I get a workout and an education at the same time. That's also a good one. And I know lots of people do that with a treadmill or with a Peloton bikes. Uh, people do that as well, though you can't really watch a webinar because you have to be watching the screen, the lesson and shouting at other people, as I understand it. I like bikes because I like real bikes outside. I don't really get the Peloton thing. And Lilac is going to shout at me, but there it is. More, more than just Lilac, more than just Lilac. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we could have a whole episode on Peloton. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, with that, that's a wrap for this week. So thank you for listening in. As ever, you can follow the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with a number four in there or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, we've got a couple of interesting guests lined up for upcoming episodes, but we're always on the lookout for new voices, new perspectives. So if you have any ideas of someone you would like to hear us talk to, by all means, send them our way. And that does include suggesting yourself. That's a perfectly valid approach too. But with that, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, guys. Have a great time. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.